there's a core idea that's very, very perennial philosophy, or very much in line with many other kind of spiritual or religious ideas that the whole world is an illusion. Every, the entire universe is a dream and it's basically a bad dream. And it's the result of us thinking that we could separate from God, which we can't in the Course in Miracles metaphysics. There is no, there is no actual separation. There is no actual fall from grace. There's no actual sin. But because we think we can, we had this tiny mad idea when the son of God forgot to laugh is the quote. This tiny mad idea that you could separate from love. And then when we had this idea, we took it seriously. And, and I don't even know who the we is here because that presumes a separation that there isn't. And then we're like, oh shit, I'm afraid that God's going to punish me for having separated, for having like usurped his throne. And uh, I'm guilty for having like done something bad. You know, I'm, I'm fearing punishment for the sin in the present, the fears of the future, of the past badness. And so in order to hide from this terrible mistake I made, uh, this terrible sin, I'm going to project an entire universe out there. And I'm going to keep projecting separation after separation after separation. So you have the, the Big Bang, which all the, f the forces are one big oneness. And then there's now, you know, an electro-weak force. And then the electro, the, the weak end, the strong nuclear. You know, there's this continual separation and separation and separation of further and further differences and distinctions and, and less and less seeming oneness. And this is like in my, you know, crazy mind going to um, help me hide from God's punishment. But in the Course in Miracles view, this is all a mistake. This is all just a silly mistake. You can't actually separate from God. So it's all something we're made up. And that's what true forgiveness is. Forgiveness is seeing that you can't do anything wrong. The end is certain. You're already enlightened. So is everyone else. You can't hurt each other. You can't hurt yourself. And so like at the end of the day, that's, that's like what the Course is always saying. So the full awakening is essentially the disappearance of the universe. The entire world of manifestation is just this kind of bad dream. Welcome to Mew. Today's episode is with Jordan Mishka Allen. Jordan is founder and CEO of The Relateful Company, an organization that works to build inner peace and interconnection through truth and love. At the core of their approach is a practice called relatefulness, which emphasizes interpersonal relating, construct awareness, and non-duality. Jordan is also a practicing life coach, is the author of A Beautiful Apocalypse, and is a longtime practitioner of A Course in Miracles. If you enjoyed this content, you can help support it by joining our Patreon or by making a donation down at the link below. And so with that, I'm very happy to introduce this episode with Jordan Mishka Allen. But what's so beautiful about A Course in Miracles is like, this is the fundamental premise that it rests on. And it, it, it kind of says that, but it constantly travels back and forth. Also, what's very confusing about it for students like myself um, is that it constantly is going back and forth between, I would say, the ultimate or that non-dual perspective and the relative perspective. So, um, you know, it'll say, it'll say for the relative perspective, for example, fear is the opposite of love. And then it'll go to the non-dual. But what is all-encompassing has no opposite. So just constantly switching back and forth. Like... 
And I find that actually extremely helpful because it, it's essentially what our lives are like. We're, we're constantly forgetting the truth and then it's like, oh yeah, let's come back to it. And so it's basically this very gentle, loving reminder to turn your attention back to truth or reality or God or love or forgiveness. Because it's like, look, yeah, of course you're going to screw it up. Everyone is. That's, that's the nature of reality. You can just keep coming back to it. Just notice that and keep coming back to it. There's a kind of like a uh, strange loop here where if you, if you take the metaphysics seriously, what it means is the metaphysics is not, you can't take it seriously. Like it's saying this is an illusion. This whole story is a myth. Like, in fact, the course says over and over again, stuff like um, words are but symbols of symbols twice removed from reality where the word is obviously a symbol of something, right? If I say dog, it's not the actual dog. This is kind of send upon peep, that classic, uh, I think it's Magritte painting of a pipe. It's like, hey, this is not a pipe. This is a, this is ink on a page or whatever. So it's kind of pointing to this, con this constructed nature of where we're symbolizing things. But in the, in the course of metaphysics, the things that we're symbolizing, like dog, are themselves symbols of the deeper, the deeper thing, either the separation from God or the unity with God. So at the fundamental base level, when, when we're talking about the, the world of form, we're talking about everything in the course's language. And I, I think this is incredibly helpful, whether or not it's right. Again, we have the strange loop situation. Let's just, if I, if you put me, if you like put a gun to my head and was like, is it right? I'd be like, yeah, it's right. Um, but at the, at the end of the day, everything is either what they say is like fear or love. And fear is a call for love. So everything is either love or a call for love. And that's where like the metaphysics bottoms out in this incredibly useful way. Because in you, I mean, we all, every single day, every single person, you, me, everyone listening to this has gone through some experience, probably every hour, where we, we, we either like act out of fear or we respond as if fear is real and not a call for love, right? Like, to be able to just slowly but surely reclaim more of those as like, oh yeah, this is actually a chance to love is, is a movement into like a crazy good life. It's a movement from hell to heaven, basically, right? Because in hell, it's like, oh, fear, there's, some, there's something that could be threatened. There's something here. Like, let's say, you know, this morning, I've got, I've got a six-week-old at home and a 22-month-old and my wife, my, tw my, uh, my toddler woke up a little early, woke up, woke up crying and I didn't know why. And uh, that was easy to see as a call for love, right? I'm like, oh, he's, he's scared of something. He, I think he was like, grandma, he loves his grandma. And I was like, oh no, he must've had a bad dream or something bad happened with grandma. And so that's like a, easy to see as a call for love. But it was really early. My wife didn't sleep enough. And so she snapped at me and I just snapped back. I didn't see it as a call for love. Um, and, and it took me a second to see my snapping as a call for love and treat myself with love instead of treat myself with judgment. And so it, it, that's where like the metaphysics bottoms out as like over and over again, throughout your day, throughout every moment, seeing where you're separating and you're seeing basically non-godliness or non-love or non-presence. Or if you're more of kind of an emptiness, non-dual guy, it's like um, where, you're, where you're believing that in your thoughts, you're believing that yourself is real. You're believing that you exist outside of the, the you that's separate, that's anything other than just being awareness. In some ways, The Course in Miracles has nothing to say about the metaphysics inside the world of form. 
Like if you like the course is kind of like, hey, the world of form, the universe, the, the everything that we call reality, matter, um, that's all dream stuff. And, and what we're here talking about is like all the dynamics of how you convince yourself of the dream stuff being real and how to put a pause to that if you want to. When it comes to, I mean, with the, I, again, with the exception of like the way the dynamics of the ego and forgiveness and stuff like that, when it comes to like facts about the world of form, it just, it just doesn't say anything because it doesn't need to. It's not, it's not its purpose. If you were going to learn to computer program Haskell, I wouldn't say go read A Course in Miracles. I'd say go read a Haskell book. If you want to learn about cosmology, learn about cosmology. Go read physics. So it's steeped in and comes from the Christian tradition. And so it has a little bit of, it has that flavor in terms of the origin story. So I'm curious if you could speak to people's present moment experience in order to like entertain the, or explicate the view of the ASIM metaphysics of that like fundamental guilt, which is a large part of the Christian mythology. Some of the stuff that really excites me and I love as, as a nerd that loves relating and psychology and stuff is seeing how much that kind of guilt symbolically comes up in like all of these inf- interactions. And so we pick, we basically project it out onto someone or something like this morning with my wife, like she snapped at me. I'm a victim of her snapping at me. Um, this is a way basically for me to avoid my guilt. Like at some, at some deep basic level, the, the course is saying that like, and, and I, I think this is basically right, that like we, in that moment, I'm, I'm like somehow secretly in my being of beings, like aware that I'm separating from her and that's fake. And I feel guilty about that. You could say that I'm in that moment, I've, I've done the creation story, right? I've, I've separated, I've stepped out of the garden of Eden in that, in that exact moment. In, in the moment, you know, forget by, time. By, by choosing fear. By choosing fear, exactly. And then, and then I'm, I'm like, oh shit, you know, again, pre-verbally, pre-thought, I'm like, oh shit, I have to get rid of this guilt somehow because I can't stand it. And so then I project it out on her and make her wrong so that I don't have to be wrong. And then I can tell you and everyone else, look, she started it. She snapped at me. Don't you see? I'm justified in my anger at her and my reaction. I'm not the bad guy. Because secretly, I am fucking convinced that I am the bad guy. It's really hard to get to this level. Our deepest spiritual lessons are often the ones where it's almost impossible to see the other person as the good guy or the neutral guy in the situation. (laughs) Can you speak more to this, like, this flinching? The egoic structure must be organized must be like a very complex organization around like really fundamental flinches about like just existing and then like choosing love or fear or choosing fear over love. That's it. If you get high enough, say equanimity and whatever you pay attention closely enough, you can like notice the flinchings. Yeah, that's right. So then it disentangles it from like all the narratives. So could you speak more to that? Yeah. Yeah. So let me, let me speak to that on, on a, again, like a kind of a take home, like what can the listeners take home with them right now um, level and then go more into like the philosophy. And if like a take home 
practice would be like, look for what you flinch from as something that you can accept in your identity and see if you can embrace more of it. So for example, I had a client the other day that was like, oh, I don't want to admit that I'm self-judgmental. And like, we've been over the course of a few weeks, you know, he's looking at anger and it was like, well, you're, you've got a lot of anger towards yourself in the form of self-judgment and he just couldn't see it. Now he's seeing it, but he doesn't want to admit it. And I'm like, basically you can expand your identity to include more. Yes, it's, you're a nice guy. You're a sweet guy. Everyone likes you. Also, you're self-judgmental. Also, some people don't like you. Also, boom, boom, boom. And like, you just slowly but surely expand more and more of who, who and what you're able to say I am to. And at the end of the day, you end up being I am to everything and there's no flinching. So I think that's, that's like the take home is like, say, say I am to one more thing that you weren't willing to identify as part of you. I don't know what's the hard, the hard ones are like, maybe, maybe like, have you ever heard a critique of me that you can share? You, you don't even have to buy into it. Yeah. You can be like, that person's so wrong. You want me to share a critique of you? Yeah. <laughs> uh, you're Pollyannish. I'm Pollyannish. Yeah. Great. Perfect. This is a good one. Um, so yeah, so if there's any resistance in me to saying yes to that, then it's like, that's, that's where the forgiveness work lies. That's how I can feel. I actually feel it in my heart. There's like a, a tremble in my heart. I don't want to admit that there's something in me that's Pollyanna-ish. It's, and this is, this one's a really cool one because it shows me two, two turning aways. One, the willingness to be a Pollyanna and be seen as that. And two, whatever the fuck I'm turning away from with the Pollyanna. So I'm like, oh, wow, there's like, there's, there's some work for me to like expand and include more. I mean, I'm, I'm not that reactive, so maybe there's not that much work here. Um, yeah, and that doesn't mean that I'm also not realistic, right? Like you basically just include more in a way, it sounds like it's a paradoxical, but it's kind of like Walt Whitman saying like, do I contradict myself? Yes, I contain multitudes. We're just, we're just all of it. So yeah, so then what, so what happens is like on the, on deep psychological philosophical level is that that turning away that flinching away from something at the end of the day is flinching away from that feeling of having separated from god feeling that that we are responsible for for not being enlightened there's another way to say it what does it mean to flinch away from god i think that you're so smart and capable and i love that we get to connect do you feel any resistance to receiving the truth of that? Yeah. <laughs> that, that resistance is the flinch away from God. <laughs> and, then, and then on the other side, it's, it's um, or on another side, let's send out the other side. Uh, l- let me do mine, especially in relationship to, to Pollyanna. Like, there's this feeling, there's this immense terror of, of really looking at the idea that like, maybe, maybe I actually am responsible for not being one with God. And, and that, that's the, um, to face that and to feel into that feeling, like I feel literally my belly gets kind of royally and to face that and feel it and stay in. And you'll notice like, you'll keep flinching. You'll start randomly thinking about something else or uh, you'll go on, talking about some other random bullshit in a podcast instead of saying, staying with that feeling and just being like, ow. And eventually you can do that with God, right? You're like, it's okay because I know, and that's where the Course in Miracles metaphysics is extremely helpful 
you're like, that isn't actually true. That feeling of primordial guilt, of original sin, of, uh, you know, in, in there's a, like the psychological way of saying this, like in NARM, the neuroaffective relational model of healing developmental trauma is the connection trauma, is this feeling like I don't belong here. I don't deserve to exist in reality. That That's the, the feeling I think that you're learning to face and be like, it's okay. I am here. So this is a lie. I am one with God. And so I can face this feeling fully and embrace it and allow it to be present until I see through it. It looks like the same action to do something that's like playing a, uh, playing a part in the world stage where you're not locked into an individuated identity. You're, you're inhabiting individuated identity and you're not believing it. You're playing with it. And that, that's the real invitation is like, you're, belie- you're not believing it, you're playing with it. And part of what you're playing is the game of forgiveness of, of your, the world is a classroom rather than a stage is a better way to say it. And everything that comes across in this classroom is me, is stuff that for me to learn and, and let go of. And, and this is really nice because then you also can, can drop this, this idea of perfection. Like this happens a lot with like enlightenment or uh, like kind of non-dual teachings where like you, you assume that you're going to eventually get there one day. And then it's like, it's a real bad setup because then if you, you either, then inevitably you're going to, something's going to happen when you get reactive, right? Like you're going to, so I don't know, whatever. Someone, someone grifts you and you, your wife's going to snap at you. You're going to, the president that you don't like gets elected. The like, you know, or, or awful, you see awful things in the news every day. Someone gets beheaded. Um, some innocent child gets drowned or shot or whatever like there's just like awful things that are happening and you're going to see that and then if you think if you have any sort of reaction at all you're going to think either i must not be enlightened and that sucks because you kind of like separate from god and like leave the garden right then and there right or you have to hide that from yourself because it's going to break your identity of what enlightenment means or what being woken up means or something like that and so in order to maintain the the idea of what you think it means to be a non-dual dude, you have to, you have to push that experience away instead of saying yes to it and embracing it and allowing it and moving on. So there's a real, a real nice allowance of this kind of infinity of unfolding that I, I think A Course in Miracles invites us to. I certainly feel it's important and it's part of what we bring with whatever I'm doing with relatefulness, with uptrust, with all of that. It's like bringing in this kind of allowance of unfinishedness another way to say it would be like you know an ever an ever perfecting quality or or being is becoming can you expand on transcending but including everything and also this perspective of permanent centerlessness so yeah the fact that there are is no such thing as a true thought since thoughts are symbols and they don't refer, they don't have the reality that they point to. Yeah. At the same time, they can be true when that structure is assumed. And so you can have an ego or be an ego and transcend, but include that. And then other levels of identification, like identification as everything or as nothing or beyond right. everything and nothing until you can't find yourself anywhere, even 
between everything and nothing. Could you talk about that? Because it's like something shifts. It's like the reactivity is different on the other side. And I'm curious if you could speak to how the reactivity is actually different on the other side. Yeah. There's some, there's some sense of like, there's there, everything is okay in a fundamental sense, because I realize that this is a dream. But, but actually what you'll notice if anyone has practiced lucid dreaming, is like, even though everything's okay, there's kind of like, there's tracks and it takes a shitload of energy to get off the track. And like, you can suffer in a dream. Like even when you realize it's a dream, right? Like another way to say it would be when you watch a movie, there's like really good movies and there's some mediocre movies and then there's bad movies. And so, yeah, it's all made up, but like, there's a sense in which like, the more reactive you are, the more me- mediocre or bad the movie is and like, or the, or the more painful the dream is and you just don't need that. So it's not a problem. You don't believe in it. You know, it's not real. And it's kind of like you might as well rest in deeper peace. So it's like improving experiencing, even if there is at the most meta level, a piece that is beyond words. Yeah, that's right. And my sense of the actual experience of, of pretty much, well, my, my sense is just that um, there's a sense that like, you, there's a continual kind of set feeling of unfolding into more and more of that. Like, it's not a problem. And then you look around and you're like, whoa, I've been making so many things a problem, even though I thought they weren't a problem. And you, there's like another layer that lets go. And you're like, like, kind of like you said, you're like, oh, I'm everything. I identify with everything. And then you look and you're like, whoa, I'm not actually like everything that I am is actually nothing. And, and I, the only reason I knew there was an everything is because I was feeling into the nothing, right? Like if I know that I'm here, like we've talked about, knowing here-ness requires me to know not here. And so I'm like feeling every time I feel here, I feel not here. I'm like, what? And so I'm like, fuck, I'm actually notness. I'm like, I'm like non-being. And that's what all me and everything is. And then you're like, well, wait, I'm not, 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 not being, I guess I'm both or neither, or that doesn't make sense. And then the language starts to break down and then experience is just like happening. And then it seems like these, it could be that these layers are infinite. There's like an infinite deepening of like, whoa, I, I thought I knew what was going on. I thought I knew what reality was, um, but it's so much more, it's so much deeper. It's so much wider. It's so much more uh I, I even saying more is not right right even saying deeper is not right it's so much more superficial in all in and like that's beautiful and good and part of it too it's it's so much less and that's part of it too like right these you can't and um yeah so i think there's some some kind of like infinite quality to that it may end i mean maybe the disappearance of the universe is the end somewhere in the course of miracles they ask this question you of like what um is reincarnation so and i really love the the way that the, the course answers it it's really indicative of like how i think to deal with this question of like living transcending and including the world the course's answer is like if believing in reincarnation helps you find god believe in it if it doesn't don't because it's all made up anyway the question is in the world of form so any answer that we give is going to basically be fake. So just do whatever it is that helps you move to love and respond to fear with love. That's always the answer. And so that's, that's the question of like, how do, you, how do you transcend and include the world? You always ask, what's it for? 
Like you start start to see everything symbolically. And and this is fun too, by the way. It sounds like it's not like a oh, I've got to like do some deep contemplation of every it's like I watch Marvel movies and I'm like blown away by like the symbolic significance of them. Or one of my favorites that people have heard me talk about before is Babe the Pig or Lego Batman. Like these movies I think are so fucking deep. They're so good. <laughs> or or like a movie about forgiveness is Encanto. The Disney movie Encanto is like an incredible movie about forgiveness in my mind. So yeah, you start to see what it's really for. And, and it, the more you can ask yourself that question, the less things that used to bother you bother you. You're like, oh, what's, what this is really for is for me to believe that I'm a victim of this person or this frame or this organization or whatever. And that's my choice. That's my doing. So I can change it if I want. And I don't have to. There's no pressure to change it. I can keep suffering for as long as I want. And that's genuine. That's not like a fake, obviously you should change. No, like you can only handle so much at a time. And sometimes you realize more than you can take on. And you're like, I'm going to, I'm going to set this one aside for now. I'm going to deal with one thing at a time. And that's okay because it's all an illusion anyway. What is the opening quote of A Course in Miracles and how does it fit in here? Nothing real can be threatened. Nothing unreal exists. Herein lies the peace of God. Yeah, so, so this is this is again where it's constantly moving back and forth between the layers of the, the the absolute and the relative, which obviously is a dualistic framing, but nevertheless. Um nothing real can be threatened. That's the absolute. That's the there is no universe. There's uh sorry, nothing real can be threatened is like is is the opposite. It's working with you as saying, like, look, you think that things can be threatened that you care about but they can't because they're not real. Nothing unreal exists. Like, because actually all there is is God and that's the peace of God that you can step into. So it's kind of, it, it's shocking though, because what it means is not just that you don't exist. Everything you care about doesn't exist. And it's just like, it's a real, it's a, it's a real humdinger. <laughs> I don't know why that's the phrase that came to mind. It's, it's really tough to admit like, man, it's almost a sense that like God doesn't care about me. Because there's no me and there's no world to be cared about. What does it mean that there's no me or there's no world? What does it mean to say that the world's an illusion? What it means is that you're, you're never upset for the reason you think. So if you think you're upset because you lost a job or because your boss was mean to you or because you, the economy was tanking and somebody the, the Fed should have done something different with the rates or somebody hacked your crypto exchange and you lost all your money or whatever. Not that that happened to me like a bunch of times. <laughs> um, you think it's, that's all buying into these frames of like, of injustice, which are based on thoughts of separation, which themselves are kind of dubious upon inspection. And, and of course in miracles is not like, it's offering you this frame and, and same here, me, I'm offering you these things to, to try on, but in no way am I saying this is something you have to take it as fact, like these are symbols too, right? Um, so the, the real deal is to like find the symbols that help you find more love uh, in the truest, wholest, freest, emptiest sense of the word. And what that means for me is like looking in the moment, like, oh yeah, when I'm upset, when I'm angry, when I'm sad, when I'm happy, when I'm um, ecstatic, when I'm turned on, when I'm like craving, when I'm 
rejecting. It's just like looking at what's really going on. And at a fundamental level, I'm creating of all of this, all of this stuff through meaning making, which is just completely unnecessary. And when I look actually in the moment, I'm like, man, being is awareness is I am. I can feel that. I know that everything else is made up even when it's real, even when I'm like, okay, this is a body. Like that's a made up distinction because what this actually is, is like skin and like organs. And what that actually is, is bacteria and like gut biomes. And what that actually, you know, it's like, it, it's all, there's all, there's a construct choice at every, every time we make uh, any sort of designation, we're choosing a construct, right? And you can, you can see this so obviously, I, again, I've been watching my child acquire language over the past year. And it's, it's beautiful and amazing. It always like twists my mind the way he uses language. It's like, oh, that is a good way to use it. For like, for example, one silly, stupid example is like last night, um, he was like, close, close the bed. No, close the blanket. And cause he wanted the blanket on top of him. And it was like, that is a kind of closing. That's creative. He did that too with my hand. He wanted my hand on him. He's like, close your hand. <laughs> and I'm like, of course, that's a great way to say it. I never thought of it that way. Um, and so there's, it's like, he's, he's making these distinctions, which are not real distinctions. I'm like, obviously I'm not closing the blanket the same way I close a door. Um, and yet it's a, it's a perfectly fine distinction. It's true of us. We're not, we're not actually singular bodies that humans can't exist in isolation. We're overlapping networks of communities We're we're sharing gut biomes. We're like the products of like, I had coffee this morning. God knows how many people were involved in getting that coffee from like the the bean uh, in the ground that grew the plant to like my lips and the water I use. And this there's just like this crazy level of interdependence of what I actually am to even do something so simple as drink coffee. It's like, it's a, it's so silly in some ways that I think I'm an I. Uh, and so, and, and yeah, of course I walk through the day. I, I need to take care of myself. We need to have good boundaries in order to allow that love to flow. Um, but nevertheless, like what happens is what the more I can see the illusion of that, of the fiction of those, of those boundaries, of those constructions, I'm actually more free to hold them lovingly and lightly and, and play with them. There's an attitude of lightheartedness or playfulness that comes from it. A good example of this is there's this famous quote that I think is often misunderstood where anger is never justified from A Course in Miracles. And the misunderstanding that I think I see people do is like, oh, therefore I shouldn't be angry. But that's not what the Course is saying. There's no shoulds in a world of form. There's just, is it moving you closer to love or further from love? And then it's your choice. You're the decision maker that gets to decide whether whether you want to choose a miracle. The miracle here is, is forgiveness, by the way. It's the shift in perception from individual or separated or sinful or guilty to innocent, connected, joined, one with God. So that's the, that's the miracle that this is a course in, is shifting perception, is seeing oneness. So what I was um, forgot to finish with anger is the, the yes and, the transcend and include is it's, anger is not justified, but neither does that mean it's unjustified. Like it simply is. So is any emotion. So is any, anything like see it for what it is. And from, from this view, no eyes, no ears, no mind. It's no anger. Like 
what it is is a way of not of, of flinching of turning away but that's okay it's not justified because nothing is justified and that's okay so you learn to embrace it and say yes that and much more and as the more you do that the, the i find I, and I, I again this is true of the thousands of students that have come through my programs basically or my community um, is that the more people are there's there's obviously ways to do this wrong you can indulge too much you can spiritually bypass on, on another side but like on on the whole when people are able to embrace more and just say like it's okay and allow themselves to be more whole truly whole to like not flinch away from the the hard stuff ironically this is very non-pollyanna-ish <laughs> um there's my defensiveness probably but but also wanting to be seen you know <laughs> so every time we resist something is an act of choosing fear over love and choosing fear over love means that we get to be a victim or an individual self and what's so good about that from the perspective of the victim or the individual self what's good about it is that you get to keep hiding from guilt and that's guilt over over ever absolutely everything basically like <laughs> both on a literal sense of like a bunch of like little things that you did like maybe you didn't give yeah. the homeless guy change and you felt bad about it and so you instead of facing that guilt and, and dealing with it and allowing it, breathing through it, you're like fucking homeless people, you know, or you're like fucking corporate pigs that make it or in Austin, fucking Californians that moved here and made the housing so expensive. You just find anywhere else to put that blame on other than yourself. That's a great question. What's so appealing about this? I, I should ask myself that like when I was snapping, like, because uh, probably most of your listeners have felt like at some point this moment where they're they're aware, but they're still kind of doing the bad habit. I'm curious how letting go and surrender fits in. Mm. So we talked a lot about yes anding, which is transcending but including right uh, everything. Quick pause on that. I want to note that yes and is isomorphic to no but and i think this is important because i think a lot of people in spiritual circles think they've got to say yes and that somehow no is bad and it's it's just the exact same yes and right uh can we do can we go to get pizza yes and i hope we get veggies on the pizza or something uh it's pretty much the exact same thing you can say no but can we get pizza no but uh i, I definitely want you to be happy maybe we can get pizza tomorrow they're actually equivalent and i want people to have access to both because it's i think it's just super important to be free to say no so we can no but or we can yes and and there's also this perspective that an abiding awakening requires giving up everything like the end of attachment yeah because if if you believe like I need X in order to feel Y, Z, J, H feelings or whatever, as long as that isn't 
seen through or let go of or yes anded or but node it's still maintaining the fundamental problem of what you really want being conditional and outside of yourself and not a part of what you really are yeah so 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 how does like this spiritual teaching on surrendering everything fit into the transcending but including of an egoic structure which sometimes indulges and has tons of wacky and contradictory preferences and values and wantings yeah these are such good questions i i love it i i want to go in two directions and maybe we'll, we'll go in both of them and one is like the key is a key thing is just always asking like what's this for you know what's this symbolize is this for fear or is this for love or is this you know is this a call for love or is this love what's this for is this for reifying a body is this for making me believe that like i'm a victim or is this for helping me join is this for forgiveness is this for seeing the truth of the way things are so uh the the key is it, it, it's from the Course in Miracles point of view, and again, I really stand by this, is it's it's almost never about the form. One good example of this is like healing, um, taking medicine, taking any kind of medicine, ibuprofen or Wellbutrin or whatever. It doesn't matter. Uh, cancer medicine. It's like a lot of spiritual types are like, oh, you shouldn't take medicine, you know, because it's not natural and it's not of God or whatever. And the Course in Miracles point of view is is like, yeah, medicine is magic. But literally, so is everything else. Breathing is magic. Existing is magic. It's not real. So the point is not whether you should take medicine or not take medicine or do a natural treatment or a Western therapeutic treatment. The point is, where are you coming from? And, and what's it going to do for you? If you don't take medicine, is that going to bring you more fear? Then take medicine. Is taking medicine going to bring you more fear? then don't take medicine. From the Course in Miracles point of view, healing is a choice that you make that isn't about the form. It's not about whether you have the cancer or not, or whether you get the, if the headache goes away or not. It's about the choice to see reality as for what it is, to see oneness, to see wholeness, to include that as part of who you are. The unhealed mind is the, is the one that sees everything as separate and distinct and uh, deserving of judgment or hiding or attack or whatever. So, okay. So that's one direction. And since you're pausing, I'll keep going. And the, the other direction is about surrender and surrender is the tricky word. I think it's, it's so true and it's so useful. And it's been a huge part of my spiritual path is surrendering, practicing surrender. I even led a practice that we named with surrender for a long time, but it's tricky because just like anything you can hide, there's a lot that can hide in surrender. There's a lot of ego that can hide in surrender. Like, well, I'm just following my impulse, my intuition. Like, you know, like my surrender is telling me that I need to sleep with this student, even though I'm a teacher, like, and it's, you know, that's just what my surrender is telling me. So I got to do it. It's not me. It's not my fault. It's, Blame it on God, you know, uh, for example, like I, I haven't actually seen that myself, but I've heard of that uh, and I've seen something close. I've seen a teacher do that with kissing a student. 
um, with that exact justification. And so there's something, maybe I'm crazy and maybe they, that was the best thing for that workshop. And, and that, you know, that's, there's certainly a world where that's true, but it's just a very, very tricky place because it's so easy to like smuggle in these egoic desires and be like, well, I'm just surrendering to what's here now. Um, so I think there's some, there's some real, like the spiritual community needs a rehabilitation of the word. With the frame the egoic desires are based in fear, are all egoic desires based in fear or are they transmuted when they become transcended but included? I think so. Yeah, I think so. And, and I think probably everyone has had this experience of like an impulse towards something that they felt a kind of intuitive yes to that, um, that they, they didn't know why or what it was going to get them or it was just kind of, maybe it was an intuitive yes to help somebody to pick someone up off the ground or an intuitive yes to, for me, like when I finished my novel, I like, I had this weird yes to going to Europe to a wedding that I was invited to. And it was like a very catalytic time in my development. It was important for me and, and where, where I finished the book and all this kind of stuff. And so it's like, there's always these moments and you basically, when you start to pay attention, I think everyone has had these where you're, you're like this, this kind of intuitive impulse towards something that, that's non-rational. And basically, I think you can just run experiments and like you, you start to lean into that and surrender into that. And you'll notice that like the ones that lead you towards goodness and the world towards more goodness, more of what even as just as you define it. And it's like you start to kind of discern internally when those impulses come from the Holy Spirit, to use the, the Course in Miracles language, or when they come from like the ego. And in A Course in Miracles, they say the ego always speaks first. And it's a helpful reminder to slow down, right? Like, what should I do? Whatever comes right away, wait, because the ego always speaks first. I don't know if that's like a, you should make that into like a, a rule that you tattoo on your forehead or whatever. Maybe sometimes the thing that comes first is like the right thing to do. I'm, I'm, it's just, but it's a, it's a reminder to kind of chill out, slow down, tune in, and remember that you're much bigger than that, that desire and that ego. And you're, and, and ask what's it for? What's it doing for me? What's it going to do for life? Is it towards love? Is it towards fear? Is it from love? Is it from fear? What is forgiveness and how does it relate to the fundamental choice between love and fear? Yeah, forgiveness is seeing that the harm, that there is no way to harm anyone or anything. So normally people think of it as like 10,000 egos are screaming. I know. Having heard you say that. I know. It sucks. I know. I, I thought about this, actually. I really did. I thought about it t this morning when I was thinking about this interview. I was like, oh, geez. Like, I can, I can yeah, think of... Yeah, plus there was the whole he thing earlier about God being a he. But... Yeah. Well, yeah. Because, again, from this point of view, these are, it's all just symbols, right? So it doesn't, it doesn't actually matter. We could say she. We could say they. It doesn't, it doesn't matter. Um, and it doesn't matter if we pick one or the other either. So it equally doesn't matter. It, and, and this makes sense. You can imagine like we're in an epoch where people have a sense of we're reclaiming a lot of things that we need to reclaim in the world of form. We're, we're including more in our holistic embrace of who we call we. And I think this is healthy and good. And so, of course, there's kind of railing against like, oh, my God, like another he situation. 
but you can imagine a in 500 years hopefully much much sooner right if we're if we're successful in our feminism like no one will care about pronouns because there won't be any discrimination and it won't matter whether whether the course of miracles said he or she or anything like that you know and i respect that as a text as a God, who knows what what it's maybe maybe it'll still be around in 500 years and so that's why it's that way for me i expect my writing probably won't be around in 500 years so i'm very cognizant of the people reading it now and i often you know i'll think about like if i give an example of a manager in a in a my three things email i'll often choose she as the manager to like rewrite the automatic conditioning around like oh a manager must be a he you know so I think I personally think there's a place for this, but all of this has nothing. This is all in the world of form, right? This, it's this is an and what it's symbolizing is a way for me to love. Like the social justice people are asking for love, they're calling for love. Great, let's love them. You know, if somebody asks me to use a different pronoun, they're asking me to love them, and they've told me exactly how I can love them. Why wouldn't I do that? I am like, it's really hard for me to imagine arguments against. I want to be more conscious with my language anyway. So there's a lot of these things where I'm like, on a personal level, I'm like, the, the choice is, is, is never about the form. It's about like, what, what is it really? They're asking me to love them and telling me how. I could probably just do that. Now, if they're asking me to love them by like saying, well, Trump is evil. I don't think I can do that. I'm going to find some other way to love them. And for me, what I usually do is look for the truth behind that. I'm like, um, God, you know, there's some really awful stuff that he's done and, or something. I don't know. I can't do it in the moment right now. It has to be real or something, but like, you know, I find some way of validating their pain and then loving them because it's, it's never about, they're never upset for the reason that they're saying. So I just want to honor it, validate it, and then go to the real thing. Like, dude, you're hurting. I get that. I'm, I'm hurting. We're all hurting. Let's see if we can love that. It, we're hurting. Uh, let's see if we love it. We can hurt. We're hurting because the world is fucked, right? Like we made a really good hiding spot. The ego here made it really easy to see victims and oppressors everywhere. You know, that, that the 10,000 egos that are reacting to my comment, that, that'll be great if 10,000 people listen to this, but like that, that are reacting to my comment are you know, of course they, they feel justified in reacting because you can look and you can see massive amounts of suffering everywhere you turn your eye. It's a very good place to, to project. There's a lot of really good targets. How is that a projection? It depends on what the person is saying and how they're saying it. In, in my world, it's, it's again, it's, it's what's the purpose? What's it here for? What I find is that like, so if you're like, man, there is a there are people being murdered in Ukraine in this war with Russia like that's I don't know if that's a projection or not I mean I guess I in the course of miracles metaphysics it's a projection because anything that's not God is a projection and anything that has this kind of like separative quality is a, is a projection rather than a joining quality which is an extension but the, I think these are technicalities that aren't important like more importantly like Usually what happens is someone saying that has an opinion and they have feelings and they're hurting and they're projecting something out. They're like, Putin is a fucking asshole or whatever. They're not empathizing. They're not saying, wow, what a poor, like I, I can do it. I, I don't know. I don't know the Putin story very well. I, I could, I don't, I don't know a lot. Of, I don't keep up with a lot of like this kind of stuff, but like this might turn some heads, unfortunately, but like say Trump, for example, 
I look at Trump and I look at a guy that's in massive suffering. He does not look like he's happy. He looks like he gets inflamed at every random tweet that, you know, says something negative about him. What a sad way to live. I have compassion for him. Uh, it doesn't mean I endorse what he does or the way he talks or, you know, all these things that are, that I just disagree with, but I can certainly understand where he's coming from in, sorry, I can understand that I can have compassion for him is all I'm saying. And it's another way of saying I can have compassion for myself when I'm that guy, because we've all been Trump. We've all been reactive at dumb things. We've all said untrue things. We've all said things that hurt people. We've all said things in order to get votes, to get likes. We've all um, promoted our friends that didn't deserve it. You know, there's all every last corrupt thing you can think of that corrupt that Trump or any other politician on either side, Biden, whoever, has done. Like we've all done it in some form or fashion. Maybe in some really small way. Maybe not as bad. Maybe not as many people died. Maybe not as many people got hurt. From the Course in Miracles point of view, there's no order of difficulty in miracles. It's all illusion. So it's seeing what it really is. And, and so forget, there's a sense well, we're all one. When I forgive Trump, I forgive myself. When I forgive myself, I forgive Trump. Same with Putin. Same with Ukraine. Same with all these bad things happening out there. And then a key factor here is that like, I, I think people misunderstand A Course in Miracles often because it doesn't deal with the world of form. And I don't think it should. I'm glad it doesn't. They just assume that therefore they shouldn't do anything. I guess we won't go vote. I guess we won't have political parties. I guess we won't stop Joseph Coney and his child soldiers. Like that, the course never says anything about what you should do in the world ever. And, and neither do I want to like really, truly, like I want to invite people into truth, into honesty, into, into facing reality and, and the journey that takes them on into their gut sense of what's best and finding out how to do that in, in the truth or reality of interconnectivity. And what that looks like is going to be so different for, and you know, the Bhagavad Gita does this beautifully. It shows Arjuna, uh, sorry, Arjuna on the battlefield being like, holy shit, do I really have to fucking fight my brother in this war? That's the deal. Maybe you have to fight your brother, but you do it with that. That's the real surrender. It's like, you do it with love. You, 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 you know, I think in, in the Bhagavad Gita, it's, um, is it Krishna? It's like, uh, dude, you think these lives are yours? They were mine all along. Like, why do you think you're in charge of who lives or dies? And so he, like, Arjuna gets kind of called into account for his arrogance in a certain way. And it's the same thing for us. Like, if you're called to, like, you know, bring more awareness around an issue or go, like, I have a, one of my best buddies works for the UNHCR, the High Council for Refugees. Uh, and he's uh, an amazing human being. He, I love him so much. That's his calling. Like he's he, he's not really even a kind of social justice person in the traditional sense. It's just like that's where he keeps getting drawn. That's where he finds aliveness, and it, and it fits. It works, and he's good at it. And it's just it's beautiful. And like that's of course the courses and, and no spiritual practice should say anything about this because it's so unique for each individual. You know the course is not going to be like Lucas. You need to start a podcast. You need to name it you. Yeah, so there's plenty of room to be active. And when you clear out all those judgments, when you when you find that deeper surrender, you find you can enter into that battle with love, with open arms, and it stops looking like a battle. It stops feeling like a battle. And actually, a really good example of this I want to throw out there is um, the Great Springs Project. It's in Austin. There's a group 
actually it's in Texas, Central Texas, San Antonio, to, I'm in Texas, I'm in Austin, and San Antonio to Austin is about 100, a little over 100 miles. And there's a bunch of trails and a bunch of springs and their job, their goal, this Great Springs Project is to connect into one super trail of 100 miles from Austin to San Antonio that protects the watershed and the four major springs along that watershed. And it is an amazing project. And I know um, the people that are in charge, and at least one of them is is basically a spiritual teacher, a Sufi. And she's um, just an amazing, amazing human being. And you can see the way they run the project is, for example, like they, they're, they're, you know, they're into um, what normally would be like a kind of anti, they would often be like anti-capitalist or these, these environmental movements are often anti-oil, for example. And this is not what their strategy is. They're like, we, we're going to work with developers and show them how, like, if they can give us an easement on their land, it's going to make their development worth more and be better for everyone in the long run. And we're going to work with, they, get, they have oil salesmen who know about land usage rights and water rights going out there and talking with the farmers they want to buy property from. So it's this beautiful, inclusive embrace of saying like, let, we don't need to exclude anyone from this project. We have a thing we want to do, but let's use everything we got to go to the end goal. And that's a kind of more surrendered or enlightened action, I think. And that's that's what we're aimed at. If ending the war in the Russia-Ukraine or anywhere from a Great Springs Project mindset, that's just my personal opinion. All of this is, I guess, but I'm not obviously not speaking for A Course in Miracles here. I'm curious about the forgiveness part where forgiveness is the perception or realization that no actual harm can be done to anyone. Right. So I'm wondering if you could expand upon that given that suffering appears to be or is very real when we live in fear and separateness and buy into reality is fundamentally real and separate from us and what the reaction of all of those egos recoiling you know including mine to you know that definition of forgiveness what they're reacting to and where we go from there yeah i mean one thing that comes to mind is it, because we were just talking about the great springs project you can think of um that that nonprofit as being having a forgiveness attitude towards the oil people of Texas and to the developers. And it's, it really fits because the reason why these springs are dying and the reason why like uh, we're losing this open environment is because of housing developers, right? In, in, in one particular mindset. So you could easily make them into the bad guy and there's a temptation to do that, right? Um, but that's not the way the Great Springs Project went. They said there's nothing, they didn't do anything wrong, actually. They did what any person would do. We can work with them. We can forgive them in the truest sense. So I just wanted to name like there's a, on the ground, the way that, the way this looks like is often still towards a goal of goodness, of betterness. And I think a lot of people react because they think that when I say forgiveness means no one can really be harmed, that I'm kind of like, countenancing awfulness they're saying that it's okay for there to be a holocaust or that it's okay for any of these things and i'm just not saying any of that i'm trying to speak to a different level relating to how the world is and how it works 
And nor am I saying that you should bypass reality. Like by, bypassing suffering actually acts as if there's something wrong, right? Like if you if you think <laughs> you like that. Yeah, I like that one. Yeah. So like a truly, if I'm, if I truly don't think there's anything wrong, there's no, like if I'm truly forgiving, I can look upon suffering and my heart fucking breaks and I'm in tears because I'm like, that's okay. There's nothing wrong with that either. Right. Like, I don't need to bypass my human. Oh my God. Like my empathy, my like, wow. Like, and it's almost even more tragic. Like they don't need whatever's making them do that and do that hurting for on other people. Like they don't need to be doing that. There's, there's a better way. And then I'm faced with my limitations and my finitude as a, as a thing that I think I am and that I can't save anyone else. And then I'm crying because of that too. You know, I'm feeling my lack of control. Yeah, it, it's because there's a yes. The yes ending includes the relative level of human suffering. Yeah. So like, uh, you know, if you, if you lose someone, for example, to someone else's yeah. violence, then... You can have both the maybe pain and suffering at the relative human level of the loss, as well as the meta level forgiveness yeah. at the other level, and then transcend and include everything. Yeah, it reminds me, Buddhist scholars will remember this story. I can't remember who it was, but there's some famous, you know, enlightened Buddha that I learned about in college that there's a story about like him losing his wife and his kids and him crying and like being just distraught and in grief and his students were like i thought it was all maya you know or whatever the buddhist word was for whatever sect they were a part of and he was like yeah it is but <laughs> fucking sad <laughs> there's no resistance there's like there's no resistance to any of it and 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 there eventually or somewhere along the way, there's got to be no resistance to resistance. There's got to be a a self forgiveness, an allowance of like, it's okay to have preferences and to to be upset about things, and and you just want to work on it. You want to see it for what it is. There, there are many words that we use that I think actually mean exactly the same thing. Like resistance at bottom is fear. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. And flinching is also a form of fear. So then your yeah, your head is turning when I say like forgiveness is seeing that there wasn't actually anything any harm done. Is if you're flinching because of fear. Oh shit. What does he mean? Is he saying it's okay to do bad things? Right? Uh, or tell me, what what's the what's it like in you? Is it fear? Oh. Uh what happened for me was I was like, yes, it's okay to do bad things and it's also really important that you not do bad things because that would create a lot of pain and suffering, which is that perspective that the yes is accepting that that's what forgiveness is. And at the relative human level, in order to help people not be sad, it's good not to do evil things. Right. Exactly. Because, well, one thing is because there are no other people. So if you're creating pain and suffering, you're creating it for yourself. Why would you do bad things when you recognize it's all one? It doesn't make any sense. Why would you hurt yourself? So that's that's a big piece of it. But also there, there's a beautiful line where it, at the very beginning, The Course in Miracles talks about free will. And, um, you know, from the Course's view, as we've been talking about, it's the end is certain. You're, you're, you're already one with God. You can't 
ever fuck that up. You're good. Like you're going to wake up one way or another. And um, all free will means is that you can take a really long time. You can resist for a really long time. So it's just a choice of when. And so all the courses, all the, all that we're talking about, it's all about just speeding up the awakening. And it's not a big deal. You don't have to speed it up because it's all an illusion. You're going to wake up from the dream. But if you want to speed it up, here's some handy shit. But this, this also reminds me of the, the Diamond Sutra. Um, I want to find this quote because it reminds me so much of this part. Yeah, it goes, all living beings will eventually be led by me to the final nirvana the final ending of the cycle of birth and death. And when this unfathomable infinite number of living beings have all been liberated in truth, not even a single being has actually been liberated. That's it. Why Sabuti? Because if a disciple still clings to the arbitrary illusions of form and phenomena, such as an ego, a personality, a self, a separate person, or a universal self existing eternally, then that person is not an authentic disciple. That's it. And one thing that I think is beautiful about that, it reminds me of um, the classic John 3.16, like for, or sorry, actually, it reminds me of uh, some other passage where Jesus says something like, for no one enters the kingdom of heaven except through me or something. And it's that same thing, like Sibuti says me, like are going to be led through me. And it's the mistake that people make from separation is to see those different. Instead of to see the me as the claiming of the I am of the whole. Yeah. When the Buddha saying we'll be led by me to the final Nirvana, he's not talking about the Buddha. He's talking about like a transpersonal. He's talking, he's talking about the, the claiming of the me, like each, each of us saying me, our, our true me. And it's funny in Christianity. I think this is, Oh, it's funny that people forget this because it's like, Jesus says this kind of stuff over and over again. He's like, to his disciples, he's like, why do you call me good? You know, someone's like, rabbi, which is like good good teacher or something like that. And he's like, why do you call me good? No one is good but God alone. Or he'll say stuff like, you know, it's not not by me, but through my father are these works done. Like, even as he's saying, like, I am the way, the truth, and the life. You know, he's saying, but it's a different I. Because whenever, it's like any, it's the same kind of back and forth of the relative and the, and the absolute. What's remarkable for me is just like continually seeing how these traditions are actually definitely pointing at the exact same thing. <laughs> it's very validating. Which is very different than the uh, the 19 or 20 year old version of my my philosophy of religion. Oh yeah, you were... Or my, yeah, my what, attitude. What were you me. like then? Yeah, I just thought they were just like mutually exclusive and like... You know, there was this, uh, whatever, but like, yeah, I used to just be like, they're saying different things, basically. There is a relative truth to that, like where for a lot of people, when they, if they don't pick, they don't grow very deep. They, you know, it's like that classic, you dig a bunch of shallow holes instead of one deep one. Oh, all these, all these holes, all these paths are going to lead up to the same peak. So I'll try to take all of them at once. It's like. You, you can do that, but like, you're probably better off if you just pick one, and stick with it. Even though they all, they are, I think you're exactly right that they just, they all are saying the same thing. And, and my take is that you shouldn't 
you shouldn't just pick one. Like that's a little too flippant. Like or do whatever you want. Like it, the the flippantness and the playfulness and lightheartedness, obviously, I think is great. But um, I'm saying more like you're. I think what people really are best suited to do is look for what works for them that fits like their unique calling, their unique culture, their unique time period. And this is why I think it's worth like us doing this conversation, even though everything's been said before, like people could, everyone who's listening could have just gone and read A Course in Miracles or read A Disappearance of the Universe. Um, but it's helpful sometimes to hear people who use you know, the vernacular of 2023 or like, you know, you and I have gone through different experiences that we can share. And so it's just helpful to see other people who are kind of like lighting up the path. I find it helpful no matter where anyone is on the path. Like maybe, you know, maybe the path is more like a labyrinth where it seems like you're getting close and then it seems like you're getting further away and you're actually moving closer every time. But it turns out then even someone who's just starting on the path is, is illuminating a section of the labyrinth that I need to see. Tell me about the gateless gate. Mm. Say more. I actually, that phrase came into my mind this morning as I was imagining this, but I, I wanted, yeah. You're talking about a path to get somewhere that's already imminent. So yeah, the, the gateless gate came up for me, which is, you know, a totally different tradition. But I think also just again, talking about the exact same thing. Yeah. Yeah. So, okay. So all these frames are, are dualistic, but they still kind of help. There's these kind of perspective shifts that I think really help us see these things. Like one is um, you could pick like an object in your house, like a, a painting, for example. And you can think of it as like you're, you're a coherent consciousness that has like a story of, you know, past and present and future. And sometimes this painting enters into your consciousness and sometimes it leaves your consciousness. But I think you can also kind of take the point of view of the painting and be like, as a painting, sometimes I'm known by different consciousnesses. I'm like, I'm self-awared. And there's a kind of flip, right? Where it's like, oh yeah, actually right now, this painting is not known as Jordan and Lucas. It's no, it's like, sorry, it's not like Jordan and Lucas have a painting arise in their awareness. It's more like, the painting self knows as awareness now and it kind of flips it right you're like oh oh yeah that is true even though it's a little different i'm gonna this is a pastiche i'm gonna do another another one of these like another version is like we often think of another one i like to talk to people about is like we often think of ourselves again as like coming into a relationship as like okay you you woke up in new york and i woke up in austin and then we had our days separately and then we came together and now we have this podcast um, recording. And this is fine. This is totally accurate of a certain perspective, just like it's true that the painting comes into my awareness as it, but it's like equally accurate, I think, to say that like we're, we're products of each other and um, not just an, an anticipation of the, the recording that where we both impl influencing each other, but like just like right now, the, the being that I am, um, is kind of a creation of the moment and of our interaction. So I often bring in the, the image of a tunnel where instead of being a person that builds a bridge from me to you, it's more like what actually is, is a tunnel between us. And what I am is the empty end of this tunnel and you're the empty end of that tunnel. 
sorry, of that entrance. So you're, you're an entrance and I'm an exit, let's say, or vice versa. So what I am is negative space. I'm the product or the result of our interacting rather than the cause. And you might be able to feel this almost as a meditation. You can imagine it. Anyone listening, anyone listening can imagine that they're, they're in relationship with me or with you or both of us. And they can see this kind of, oh, wow, I'm actually the result of that connection rather than the cause of it. And it's just like a little flip, an awareness flip, right? So I think the, the journey is like another, it's a, it's a metaphor or a way of slicing an infinite unbounded experience that works. The thing I want to encourage people to do is that I think a lot of people hear this stuff and it sounds f fucking mystical and weird and amazing. Like, oh yeah, emptiness penetrating form and blah, blah, blah. And like, it's, it's like, wow, those guys are so deep and so amazing. And people use this to like sell programs and like blah, blah, blah. And like, I'm instead, and instead like, okay, look, if people, if you can, if you can set aside the thought for a second or the worry about like, well, isn't this making non-duality dual? If I put language around it, like whatever, like set that aside for a second. Maybe I think it's coming from a, the, the question itself is coming from a place of separation, but whatever, it doesn't matter. Set it aside and, and start to do it. And you'll notice that your descriptions sound a lot like spiritual teachers. Like you'll be like, holy shit, like. I've done, and the reason I know this is because I've done this with like hundreds of people where I like, I, I would have people coming to my Monday night session that have never done any relatefulness practice and never even done much meditation. And I basically give them this prompt and we'd sit in a circle and be like, as a warm up, like, okay, so what's, what's the container of stuff like? And if you notice you're describing stuff, just pause, like stop and just describe the container. And people just from their in the moment experience will come up with like beautiful, like they'll be like, well... I guess it kind of feels like nothing hanging in empty space. And I'm like, yeah. They're like, or someone else is like, oh, for me, it's more like, like almost like love that's everywhere, but also it's like not in anything. It's just there, but it's, I guess it's nowhere too. It's definitely nowhere. Right? There you go. So keep going. What do you notice? We'll go back and forth for a second. All right. Um, it's like perfectly still. Right. And it's crazy. It's like the still, I've, I've, still i am or there is stillness in movement it doesn't have any dimension it's dimensionless right it's like a flattening of perception that includes space and movement or dimensionality it feels static like it doesn't come or go right yeah there's a kind of um ever here quality of like timelessness almost that's that static like also. you couldn't just you couldn't destroy it no right so here we so we're just kind of noticing and describing it and we sound like in a mystical state because we are because we entered the gateless gate and that's there for everyone and anyone who wants to try it and you'll notice like if even if you take a journal and are doing it with yourself like and you look at what you've written it'll probably look like especially if you can drop don't worry too much about ideas or things you've read but more like just noticing in the moment, what's it like that? Yeah. You'll be like, wow, man. It, yeah. There's something, um, feels so good to be human, like to be unapologetically. Like I, I don't know, like I, I like sex and <laughs> like, <laughs> 
Uh, laughter is wonderful. And like, I can't stand it when my children suffer. And of course I can. It's fine. Everything's fine. And I know that. And it, there's beauty. And I can see how that like this, their suffering is going to shape them into like deeper, more soulful humans and all of that. But like just being in the moment of fully feeling, I don't want to step outside of that. I want to step in it. I want to be in it and, and beyond it. I think this this is just a fuller, wholer, more. I feel it, I feel it as being more honest in me. What what is your say feelings or thoughts now about a course in miracles? Given our conversation today, so how do you how would you summarize it, or what is the takeaway, or What's really important here? I feel like if there's one takeaway, it's something about like gentleness, like mostly self-gentleness and self-kindness, like uh, uh, spiritual seekers and philosophers and all, probably everyone that's interested in this listening, that we're very harsh with ourselves. Often we're very judgmental. We're like, oh, I should be more enlightened. I should be able to talk like John Wheeler or I should have remembered to do my meditation last night or and none of that is to like say that like I love discipline I've been extremely disciplined about my meditative practice for most of my life since I was 17 basically and there's a place for that but there's it's like discipline can come from compassion and I, I really want to encourage people to be kind with themselves and with each other it also fails gracefully like if you got something wrong on the spiritual path or if it turns out there is no God or the A Course in Miracles is wrong, like it, you were kind. <laughs> that bit is like, it's just such a deep honoring of, of the ego or that big yes and, you know, like there's, a, there's another quote from where Jesus in the Course says something like, I will honor your miscreations, but I will not uphold them unless they're true. This also is a good definition of forgiveness. Like the ego is a miscreation and we're not going to fight it because there's nothing to fight. There's no threat, but we're not going to uphold them or like feed into them either. And, and they're actually one, right? Because to not honor it or to fight it would be to uphold it. So it's the same, it's the same for me. It's the same for all of us. And it's the same for like how we treat others of just like, okay, like we all have great, we all act in crazy fearful ways. And it's like, cool. We can honor that you're afraid and we can honor your choice to, yeah, to not be enlightened for however long you want. Um, but we're not going to feed it. We're not going to maintain it. We're not going to uphold it. And, and a lot of that is like, you know, the hard, the hard, part like in, in my in my relationships let's say in my marriage for example like this morning the challenge for me was to not react to the reactivity it's like in the video game of my life i didn't beat that boss this morning and so i'm gonna have to face that boss again and that's great because i want i i know when i don't react to the reactivity that's me saying i'll honor that you're afraid and i'm not gonna uphold it i'm not gonna react to it I'm going to stay in, in my centerless center. 
I'm going to stay in love. And I've done that so many times. I've done that with so many relationships. I've done it with myself and I've failed so many times. I know what it's like on both sides and I, I want to stay in it. And so I'm just kind of gently allowing that. Oops. I, I kind of had an oops this morning and okay, let me, and, and I don't need to push myself. Like maybe there's an apology I have to make. If I wasn't ready to make it, I, you know, I wasn't ready to make it right afterwards and I am now. So I'll go make it. It's a way of just kind of, um, it's a way of practicing forgiveness for, for all of us. We didn't do anything wrong. Like, I think again, most people have had this experience as well of like, maybe you have a friend that like is really cool with you and kind of like sucks when they're around other people or you've seen that with a child, they behave one way with like one person and another with another. And so you can kind of see that, or you even see that with like, with, with enlightened teachers, like their students show up more enlightened when the teacher's around. There's something about that, like from a, from a, the first person point of view, you can, you start to notice more enlightenment around you everywhere. And then people show up more enlightened. It's beautiful. Like if, if that's, that's another way to talk about forgiveness. Like the more you come with that heart of love towards whatever's coming towards you, you're going to see more love coming towards you. And yeah, there's a kind of allowance of gentleness of process because it's okay. Cause the end is certain and outside of this time thing. Anyway, feel a very nice presence. One more takeaway people can have if they want, I can give infinite, but like we, in, in the relatefulness practice, we do a lot of kind of noticing and naming what's here now. Like I notice my belly, I notice I'm afraid. I'm, you don't, have to, you don't have to say I notice, but that's just an easy way to distinguish it. And a lot of times, and that's beautiful and it brings a whole new verb and aliveness to things to be able to speak relationally to what, what's present. But what people forget is they can also speak about awareness and about presence and about what they notice about being present and bring that into conversation and into relationship. I think this is really an exciting place where we can all kind of help each other relax into well-being even more. Like when, when, you know, naming what it's like, what it feels like, well, yeah, I feel wonderful presence as you speak, or I feel stillness, like these kinds of things, like there's a kind of, uh, maybe it's just mirror neurons, but there's a way that we can really through language, like help each other. It doesn't always have to be language, but it's one, one very powerful way to do it of just being in the moment, naming what awareness, what being is like here and now. It doesn't have to be on a page. It doesn't have to be in your journal. Yeah, we can, we can just let it interact. It is anyway. I want to offer you an open space for any last minute words or thoughts about A Course in Miracles, the choice between love, fear, and flinching, hmm. and what we've explored here today. Um, one thing that's worth mentioning is that, like I, I mentioned briefly earlier, A Course in Miracles is pretty dense. It's kind of like heady and hard to read um, for a lot of people. And I want to, again, validate if that's anyone's experience. There's so many Course in Miracles students who have said that like, it fell on them at a bookshelf, of a bookstore, and they bought it and then picked it up and couldn't read it. And 10 years later, picked it up again, and then they were in. And 
that sort of thing. It's a very common experience. So yeah, if it's not your time or if it's never your time to be inspired by A Course in Miracles, chill. Like I certainly don't care. A Course in Miracles certainly doesn't care. God doesn't care. So whatevs, you know, like it's totally, totally fine. <laughs> it may not speak to you. And, and I just want to really acknowledge that. And it may be hard to get it to speak to you, even if you want it to. And that's okay. And yeah, I, a huge, huge recommendation for Ken Wapnick. He's kind of the, the, I think the best teacher that it seems to speak, to stay with the heart of the message the most. Um, he's the guy that kind of came in after those two people I mentioned were the, the chant, the scribe and the, and her business partner, Bill, they first showed it to Ken and he was the one that was like, Whoa, like this is, this is the real deal. This is some amazing stuff. And he kind of helped put in chapter headers and organize it and has been the, he's kind of the first, the first teacher and he died recently, but he just is very, very consistent. He sticks with the message and he, he'll be like over and over again, be like, it says the same thing over and over again in a thousand ways. And I'm saying the same thing over and over again, a thousand ways. It's very beautiful. So I recommend him. Yeah. If you are going to get into it. Thank you, Jordan, for coming and hanging out and doing the interview and sharing all this stuff about the problem, not problem that A Course in Miracles is about. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, you're very welcome. It is another another thing I love about it is it's very self-aware about this. <laughs> it's like, yeah, this is just even it even says something like those who seek controversy in this text will find it. <laughs> like I have a right to disagree with myself and like if you want to if you want to like pick nits, you can do it. I promise. If you want to get the message, you can do that too. So, yeah. Same same deal. Like, it's it's a joy. It's a real joy. Thank you for having me, and thank you for wanting to focus on A Course in Miracles. It's really cool. Thanks for tuning in. If you found this episode valuable, you can help support the show by joining us on Patreon. Link in the description. There you'll be able to get access to additional benefits that aren't available publicly. And if you haven't already, you can subscribe to this show on YouTube or on your preferred podcasting platform by searching for Mew.